Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to the book of Proverbs. And uh, this evening we're going to take a a break from looking at uh, the life of Jacob. We have been going through Jacob in our evenings together. um, But uh, with the camp last week, uh, we're going to take a break. And Lord willing, we'll uh, resume in future weeks. But this evening I want us to turn to Proverbs chapter 15. And turning to page 538 in the Church Bibles. This evening we're going to be focusing in on verse 4, but we'll read verses 1 to 4 together. Proverbs chapter 15. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Some things uh, we do so often, uh, we might give little attention to them. Uh, They become almost rote. Uh, They become almost mechanical. And when you think about how often you speak, uh, we might not reflect a whole lot about what we say or about the effect of our words. Um, There have been different studies that have been done trying to estimate how many words we say in any given day. Um, Over 10,000 is the estimate. Uh, with uh, anywhere over 700 times a day that we find ourselves speaking. Uh, So speaking is something we do all the time. It's part of being made in the image of God, that not only do we live in God's world, but that we can speak and we can describe reality. God spoke reality into being, and by our words, we reflect and describe what God has done. And so there's something of a a great honor that uh, belongs to the gift of communication. It's something that we should treasure, that we're able to communicate. Uh, But it's also something that has a great uh, potential to it as well. And this evening we want to think about the potential of our words by thinking about what Proverbs says here in verse 4. And we really want to think about it in two thoughts. We want to think about the potential or the power of words to break. Uh, And then also the power of our words to bless. Uh, The power of our words to destroy and the power of our words to heal. We're looking this evening at uh, the book of Proverbs. And uh, the book of Proverbs is part of what we call the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. The book of Proverbs are a collection of sayings. They are short, concise, insightful observations uh, that are giving counsel for how we are to live our lives. But the thing about wisdom literature is is that they are given to us to give us perspective, but they require discernment if we are going to use them rightly. Uh, That they are not absolute statements, but more descriptions that help us be insightful about God's world. That's helpful for us uh, because when we come to Proverbs, we'll see that they will usually have um, short sayings, oftentimes parallel thoughts 
that put two things side by side uh, to seal or to cement an idea in our minds. But the Proverbs will say things uh, in, in pressing upon us the need to think about our situation. And so uh, it helps us when we make sense of how the book of Proverbs can sometimes say things that rub us almost uh, in tension. You think, for instance, in Proverbs 26, uh, where it says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. But then the very next thing it says is, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And so we might be left asking the question, well, which is it? Should you answer a fool uh, so that he's not wise in his own eyes? Or should you stay quiet so that you don't actually become like him yourself? And the point of Proverbs is to say it depends. uh, That you have to weigh the situation. You have to know the situation. You need wisdom if you're going to respond rightly in this world. And to be able to apply God's truth to any given situation. And that applies... uh, to a whole variety of things. The book of Proverbs is teaching us how to apply God's truth in the way that the family functions, how the family works. It it teaches us how to think about wealth. Uh, It teaches us how to think about romance. It teaches us how to think about uh, uh, many aspects of life in God's world. But one of the most dominant themes of the book of Proverbs, uh, arguably the most uh, thematic part of the book of Proverbs, is about our speech. There are over 90 Proverbs that give us direct counsel about how we use our words, uh, helping us understand both the limits of our words, but also appreciating the potential of our words. We read, for instance, in one proverb where it teaches us about the limitations of our words. In Proverbs 29, it says, By mere words, a servant is not disciplined, for though he understands, he will not give heed. We shouldn't think that words alone are going to guarantee certain results. That simply by explaining something, that it will necessarily bring about a persuasion or that it'll bring about a change in a person. That's what Proverbs is teaching there. That more than words, more than even true words are necessary in order to affect change. But Proverbs also teaches us not just the limits of words, but also the great potential as well. Proverbs, uh, if we're going to appreciate just how, how, how much attention is directed at speech, You think of, for instance, the lists in Proverbs. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to the Lord. And then you go to those lists in Proverbs. What are the six things that the Lord hates? What are the seven things that are an abomination? And you come away noticing that they are, half of them, deal with how we speak. That the Lord hates when speech is being misused, when our words are communicating something that is displeasing in God's sight. And so as we come to think about uh, speech this evening, we're, we're talking about something that is so routine, that is so part of our day-to-day experience, 
that we might think nothing of it. And yet the Proverbs are teaching us that our words carry great consequences, that our words have a great capability, and that our words can go in two very different directions. And so we see that in verse 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness breaks uh, the spirit. We want to think about how our words ought to be healing words, not words that uh, uh, destroy, but words that bind up. Uh, but it's only by God's grace that our words will be directed to that end. But we want to think about our words in terms of the power of our words to break and then the power of our words to heal. You know from personal experience uh, that words can be powerful. Sometimes some of the most painful memories that you may have in your own life are because of something someone said to you, about you. Um, your words can affect another person for good or for ill. But if someone attacks you with their words, if they attack your character, it can have a crushing effect. And here the, song, the, the proverb is really accenting that fact. Some, our words uh, can have a great consequence for good or for ill. And other proverbs make that point. Proverbs 12 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. A good word can lift him up. So there's a, a power to our words. The writer of Hebrews makes the same point when he says that we are not to neglect meeting together as saints, the assembling together of the church, but to encourage, that is to strengthen one another with our words, that this is the power of words. And so uh, here, uh, this, the proverb is teaching that words can be something destructive. A perversion of words breaks the spirit. That word perversion, a perverseness, uh, is a word that means twisted or false. It only occurs here and in Proverbs 11, but it has the idea of something that is distorting. It's a distortion of the truth. It's a distortion of God's reality. It's a distortion of God's design. And the effect of it is, is, is that it breaks the spirit. It, it crushes the spirit. It, it collapses the soul. It takes the wind out of a person. It evaporates hope. It removes vitality. It, it, it deprives a person of value and meaning. And so here, uh, it is the accent of what uh, words can do in a negative sense. People twist things when they aren't conforming their words according to God and his will. As a result, they will distort reality and it will project a wrong notion on other people. You may have seen in the news uh, recently of someone who was allegedly uh, wrestling with suicidal thoughts and went to, the to a hospital in Canada. And allegedly, when they were asking for help and for counsel, they were instead directed to consider medical assistance and death. That in their state of vulnerability, uh, recognizing their own weakness, they reached out for help only to be further directed uh, into considering ending their own life. 
In other words, they were being taught or reinforced that maybe their life isn't worth living for. There can be a distortion when a person is not acknowledging God's ways. And then the effect is, is that it actually leads someone in a wrong direction. I can remember as a young person, uh, on a a sunny day, uh, as a kid, I was out walking along the country road with my friend. And as we were walking, uh, a car drove by, but they slowed down as they saw us. And there were, I believe, two people in the car, but they asked us, uh, they started up a conversation with us. And one of the people in the car said, do you know where such and such a place is on the island? And I shook my head saying, I don't know where it is. I'm sorry. But my friend who was with me interjected and then said, you just need to go this way. And it's about 20 minutes and you should be able to find it. And so the people were appreciative and then they drove off. And I remember turning to my friend and saying, I'm so glad that you were here because I had no idea where that place was. And my friend saying, neither do I. That he just wanted to send them off and to say something. But the effect of that was is that those people could be going in the complete wrong direction. But they would be going in the complete wrong direction because that's how they were directed. But the words that were being communicated to them did not reflect God's reality. And here the Proverbs are teaching that our words, when they are not honoring God and his truth, can have an effect where it sends people off course. And as people are going off course from God and his truth, it leaves them not enriched, but impoverished. It leaves them with a a soul that is collapsing. They're losing out on meaning. They're losing out on purpose. They're losing hope. They're losing a sense of foundations for life itself. And that's what the Proverbs are saying here. Words have consequences. That a distorted word brings about a distorted effect. You think about all the pressures on young people these days as they're being uh, bombarded with messaging, uh, whether it's on the internet or whether it's just what they see around them. But we all have it. But for young people today, as they're trying to make sense of the world that they live in, they're being bombarded about how to think about themselves. And I uh, came across a a narrative recently of uh, one person who was meeting with a young uh, boy named Connor. Uh, Connor was your typical young boy. Uh, He was skinny uh, and he was wrestling with his own body image. Connor's problem was is that compared to some of his friends, he was much smaller. His friends had a much bigger physique than him. And so as a result, Connor felt insecure in his own body. Uh, But that insecurity reached a new level one day in gym class because all the boys had to climb up the rope and at the top of the rope they had to ring the bell. Except Connor couldn't do it. And to his own shame when he only got up part way, he had to slide down the rope, burning his hands, and then to be met with the jeers of his peers, saying that he was a wimp. The messaging for Connor was is that your worth is a, 
is fixated by comparison to others. If you don't look this way, you're really not much. If you don't have these outward features, then you're not significant. And this individual who was meeting with Connor had to talk about many things. They had to talk about things like Connor's perhaps tendency to compare himself and even jealousy of his peers, even his close friends, who were much stronger than himself. But the individual that was meeting with Connor was able to help him even more because she was able to say, instead of simply fixating on how when Connor would look at himself in the mirror and see how his arms wiggled like jelly and simply thinking, that's, that's who I am. I'm just, I'm a nobody. Instead, his counselor was able to help him see that there's more to Connor than just his jelly arms. That Connor could see that God has given him a physical body and that he is to be a steward of his body. But he is also to use his body to the glory of God. And so his counselor said, God has given you a body, and you are to use that body in service of others. And so he was, he was encouraged to think about ways in which he could use those jelly arms for the good of others. And so Connor thought he could take out the trash for his mom without being prompted. He could go and help his grandmother shovel the snow. And when he did that with those jelly arms, he came away discovering how good it felt. What Connor heard was really correcting a distortion. It wasn't a denial of his physique, but rather it was a broadening and enriching of how to think about himself. He saw his physical body, but he needed a better understanding of how to look at his own image and how to think about his own worth. And so living in a world where we're being bombarded with messaging that tells you certain things, that unless you look this way, unless you act this certain way, you don't have any worth. It's by, by being enlightened by God's word that we're ultimately going to be built up rather than to come away crushed and feeling dejected and worthless. Proverbs is very practical. It's helping us understand that there are many messages coming at us and we need to sift through them. There are some messages that are simply trying to crush a person and to destroy them. And what we need is a message that is ultimately ministering healing. And that healing is going to be governed by what is true. It's going to be governed by what is God's reality and God's design. And so uh, we see how words can break or crush the spirit when they deny aspects of God's reality. When they're not tethered to God's word. But instead, like my friend who was just willing to send people off, off course. Just go ahead, go that way. They don't know the effects of what it will have. But instead we're to see that our words are to be tethered uh, to God's truth, the word of God. But a person's spirit can also be crushed when something is spoken to them out of context or not in an appropriate way. You think of the book of Job. You remember how Job was suffering. 
but one of the things that Job complained about was is that his friends were worthless physicians. In Job chapter 13, Job says, uh, What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. As for you, you whitewash with lies. Worthless physicians are you all. Oh, that you would keep silent, and it would be your wisdom. What was Job's complaint? It wasn't that his friends were saying things that were untrue necessarily. But what they were saying did not fit Job's situation. That there was an air of superiority to what they were saying that looked down on Job. If Job would just listen and change, he wouldn't be in this mess. And Job was saying, your words are actually not helping because they are thrown carelessly, not fitting the situation at all. They were actually accenting his, his grievance and his suffering. And so as we think about our words and the potential of them to crush, we have to ask, are they true? But more than that, are they fitting? David Paulison in one of his books, A Christian Counselor Who Has Gone to Be with the Lord, David Paulison says in that book, our words must not only be true, but they must also be personal, loving, and appropriate. They must fit into the situation, and that requires wisdom. That doesn't mean that believers should never confront others about their sin for fear that they might be convicted or feel bad about themselves. That's not what is being talked about here. This is talking about speaking to others in a way that crushes their sense of dignity, their sense of value, their ability to understand the reality of the situation. It is speaking in a way that does not ultimately direct them to God and his truth. So there's a potential to our words, uh, a potential to crush. But there's also the potential to heal. In the first part of that verse, it says a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Literally, that says a tongue of healing. Our words can minister healing to others. Uh, that is, they can be wholesome and upbuilding. Now, to heal something presupposes that it has been damaged. It has been broken. It has been wounded. But in that context, it is highlighting that we all stand in need of healing. There are many issues in this life that can break us, that can bring us low. We can be governed by fear. We can be weighed down by confusion about life choices. Uh, we can be uh, unsettled about the future. But most of all, we can be weighed down by guilt. And if we have guilt, we need truth to minister to us, to bind us up. And here, the, uh, the proverb teaches that our words can minister healing. But notice how he describes it. In verse 4, he says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life. A tree of life is, is something that is the bookends of Scripture. It's there in Genesis, isn't it? In the Garden of Eden, there's a tree of life. It's a picture of life, of communion with God, of immortality, a blessing, a paradise. It's also there at the end of scriptures in the book of Revelation. 
It tells us to the one who conquers, the Lord will grant to him to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. And so on either end of the scriptures, you have this, this picture of the tree of life representing paradise. But now Proverbs is saying your words can actually minister what is paradise to someone. That your words can actually minister to them in a way that is healing and restoring. In a way that suits them according to God's design. That your words can have a great effect for good on them. This goes way beyond just practical advice or common sense sayings. These healing words ultimately attend to the totality of our being. That we need to not just think that things will turn out in the end. Or uh, it is what it is. But these healing words are words that minister to a person by telling them what they need to know, body and soul. That all of their needs, their fears, their confusion, their sins, all their concerns can be addressed by the great healer. And so ultimately these healing words encompass the healing of the soul that comes through God's grace. The notion of God's truth, healing, reaches its climax in the Lord Jesus. And one of the things you find in the Old Testament is how they would project and describe the coming Savior. One of the ways that they spoke about the Messiah to come was that he would be one who would bring healing words. The prophet Isaiah described the Messiah this way. He said, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain him with a word, him who is weary. The Lord Jesus then came into this world as one who carried healing words. Jesus said that, didn't he? He told those who were weary, he told those who were burdened to come unto him that they would find rest for their souls. That's what Jesus was getting at. He was saying that he was one who could minister to them. And Jesus' words of healing were, your sins are forgiven. That when sinners came to him, Jesus could communicate God's grace. And Jesus could communicate words of grace because of what he ultimately would accomplish. Jesus would die the death that sinners deserve in order that God's pronouncement of forgiveness might be shared. As Isaiah again goes on to say, by his wounds we are healed. And so Jesus comes into this world calling people unto himself for healing. Jesus invites the weary unto himself that they might find refreshment. But he's also described as a savior who sympathizes with us. That he won't break the bruised reed. That he ministers according to our needs in order to build us back up. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, have you come to know the healing of our souls in Jesus? Have you come to recognize that what you need is not simply external and practical? I just need another job. I just need to get better physically. I just need more friends. I just need someone to like me. But ultimately what we need 
is not to live in fear and confusion, but we need to be those who are delivered from our guilt, to know that the God who is sovereign over all is a God who is for us, and that healing comes in Jesus Christ. When we have come to know of God's healing in Jesus, then this proverb becomes a description of God's people. Their words become healing words because they can direct others to the one who heals. Our words become healing words when by God's grace we're able to uh, show the suitability of Christ for all our needs. When we can faithfully speak into a situation and set the mind and redirect the heart rightly according to God's truth. You think about how a, a doctor can take a, a bone and set it right when it's been dislocated or when it's been broken. If there's going to be real healing, it has to be set back right. And our words can do that. When we're ministering to people, telling them God's truth, pointing them to the Lord Jesus, showing them God's design, our words can actually heal which is like paradise restored as we begin to encounter God's purposes, as we discover God's grace. And so when we're faced with disappointment in life, when we're faced with uh, failures, when we're faced with our sins, we are to be directed according to the totality of God's word. And so we start to think more conscientiously about our words. You think about how Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He tells the the Philippian church, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, think on these things. That, That their minds are to be framed by a certain framework. But we can apply that same mindset in terms of the way we speak. To try to assess how we are speaking. Am I saying what I'm saying to collapse, to break, to crush another? Or am I saying what I'm saying because I ultimately want to, like as a physician of the soul, I want to set their heart aright. I want to, to direct them to the healer, to the Lord Jesus. I want them to see that Jesus is suitable to this need. I want them to see that that God's grace speaks to this issue so that they're not being let off course by the wrong messages, by someone who doesn't know any better, but just wants to say something. Here we can find healing because our God has created all things and knows all things. And as we acknowledge his truth, We can be instruments of his grace. We are all broken, but it's only when we have come to find healing in Christ that our words are ultimately going to bring healing to others. That we can point them to the one who can heal their apostasy because he is a God whose anger has turned away through the Lord Jesus Christ. When we know that we stand in need of healing, then we'll be able to be used by God to speak words of healing to others.
We speak thousands of words a day. The Christian community should be people that take stock of their words. Wisely aware that our words have a great potential. Both for good and for ill. And we should be asking God to govern us. That our aim would always be to point people to the suitability of Christ. Have you come to know the healer? And are your words directing others to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about human speech, our conversation between family members, between friends, between co-workers, between neighbors, Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to be mindful of what we say, to be mindful of uh, our intention, of our words, and that we would be people that seek to ultimately build up and not tear down. That we would be able to know uh, how to assess what healing ultimately looks like, and that we would be people who are governed by your word. So bless us, we pray. Grant to us wisdom in this area. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.